beautiful. And what I really want to know is, what is good in your life today? I'm Kia, and this is another episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. My next guest has a super sweet soul, yet make no mistake, she is a force to be reckoned with. Believe me, she is a fighter. She is championing the cause of every veteran who feels that they were forced out of the military unjustly. I was shocked to hear how she was treated, and her story prompted a research project of my own. The diagnosis of personality disorder as a means to end military service and deny benefits. You can find her story in the Huffington Post, which I will link in the description. And this story is one that I personally feel absolutely needs to be heard. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for coming today. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. So my first question for you is what made you join the military? I decided to join the Air Force after uh, I had a full ride in college because I felt like I needed to do a greater calling and I felt like God was calling me to it. Oh, the Lord directed you? Yes. Oh, that's sweet. So what was boot camp like for you? Um, It was difficult at first just because I've never been athletic. I couldn't do a single sit-up or push-up when I went in. But when I came out, um, I was able to do more than I had ever thought I could do. So the experience in boot camp actually wasn't that bad. Okay, so you were in the Air Force, right? Yes. What was your rank? Um, When I got out, I was a senior airman, so that's an E-4. Okay, so where were you serving? I was stationed at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. I went there November of 2014 and was uh, discharged March of 2017. I know that base. I was stationed not too far from there in North Chicago for the Navy. So um, my next question for you is, I want everyone to know what your experience was like. What was your military experience like? My military experience for the first year, it was decent. We had a decent command that seemed like they really cared. I received multiple awards and nominations for volunteer of the quarter and volunteer of the squadron and even went at a wing level, which I didn't win the wing level, but that's okay (laughs) for volunteer of the quarter. But after getting a new command, started to change. Um, Things were starting to be hidden when people would speak out against it. For example, um, as I went up in my ranks, I was given more responsibilities. And that's kind of when I started noticing with this new command that things weren't morally correct with some of the things that they were doing. For example, there was medical records in a medical record room that were not shipped to St. Louis where they were supposed to be retired and for five to seven years. So some service members that had been stationed at Scott Air Force Base all their documents they may not have access to because they weren't properly documented. Actually, when JACO came through, which is the joint commission that uh, Mm -hmm. surveys all hospitals, even the military hospitals that come every, I think, two to three years, I believe, they didn't even know about these records being hidden. They were in a locked closet in the basement, Mm -hmm. and they had the Lord listed try to sort through them 
and try to correct what was not done properly. And some of the records we could not even find because they were missing. Oh my goodness. And they hid it from JCO, Joint Commission, which do the yearly inspections. Wow. I worked in the hospital. I actually worked in medical records in the Navy for a little while before I worked in the pharmacy. And um, I remember those inspections and getting prepared for them. Uh, I floored that they just lost and hid records and, and just hid that from the inspectors. And then there was another situation where uh, we have what's called the sterile central supply room. So when like surgeries are done, you know, with the scalpels and Mm -hmm. the different instruments, the metal instruments, they have to sterilize them before they use them for the next procedure. They were taking some of the Air Force medics to sterilize those instruments. Well, we did not go through the proper channels or schooling or certification to sterilize those instruments. Our command was asking us to do something that wasn't within our scope of practice. And when I tried to bring that up with the chain of command, I actually got what was called an Article 15, which you would know with being in the Navy, that's similar to captain's mass. I'm not sure how to explain it to civilians, but it's not a good thing. And so I was was threatened if I spoke up with it that I would be uh, punished for it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That is just so shady. Okay. So what else happened? There was also a female who was stationed in Colorado. She was one of my coworkers, but before she came to Scott Air Force Base, that's where she was stationed, was in Colorado, and that's where she was sexually assaulted and raped. No. And she reported it to her command, and she was stripped of her rank, told that, and given an Article 15, and they said that she lied about it, even though that she had clear evidence of it. And they uh, took her from that base in Colorado and stationed her at Scott Air Force Base for a new beginning. And when she tried to seek mental health, they actually didn't believe her either. And she started self-medicating to get away from it. And she got in trouble for self-medicating because of the PTSD of the military sexual trauma that she faced. She she got in trouble for it. Right. Well, I could see how self-medicating would get her in trouble. But all of that before... I totally understand the self-medicating too, by the way. (laughs) But... um, all of that before, it's just really unnerving. So she was sexually assaulted. They told her she was lying, stripped her of her rank, and forced her into a new command. Yes. And then she couldn't get mental health help? Uh, The mental health that she got, uh, they didn't care. Um, because she wasn't performing her duties up to par as the command would have liked that we had, which when I worked with her, she did just fine. And there was nothing, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. It's just because there would be days that, you know, some of those flashbacks from that sexual assault would occur and she would have harder days than, she would have harder days than others. And instead of giving her the help and the benefit of the doubt, they just said that she was a troublemaker because she wasn't performing her duties because she was suffering from the trauma that she faced. But the military never gave her um, the chance to correct herself or to get the help that she needed. Instead, they discarded her like garbage because she wasn't in it, what they saw uh, good in their eyes, even though they're the ones that caused, you know. You know, um, unfortunately, it's not surprising to me at this point that a woman who is assaulted while serving is treated this way. This is 
This is one of many stories that I've heard where women are penalized for speaking up about their assailants. And this is why so many people like Nicole, a previous guest, decided not to report because it's almost taught to you that it's better to just sweep it under the rug than to come forward. The stigma in the military about mental health really is a true statement. Um, The mental health, I would say, is about 60 years behind in the service. Um, They do not like to see that their soldiers, airmen, Marines, or Coast Guard are facing the mental health because to them, we're almost like robots. We aren't supposed to be having those human emotions. And it makes us undeployable, which when we go through those, you know, traumatic events, we're doing it uh, to help our country, but yet we, they're not willing to fix the damages that are, that, you know, are done to them. Right. And that's kind of where my story comes in as well. Okay. So let's, let's talk more about your story then. So in 2014, when I first joined the service, I was going through basic training and I was in such a hurry to leave for basic because I was so excited that I didn't give the proper goodbyes to my family, which I regret to this day because two of the, I lost uh, multiple family members to um, cancer, aneurysms, uh, ammonia, and suicide. The seventh week of basic training, I actually lost my grandfather who was a veteran in the army to an ammonia. And then two weeks later, while I was in tech school, my grandmother passed away from an aneurysm and that was his wife. And then at her funeral, my grandfather, the one that raised me, Mm -hmm. because I didn't come from the greatest background. And that's another reason I wanted to join the service was because I wanted that stability in that family that Mm -hmm. I really didn't have growing up. I totally get that. And so my grandfather told me at my grandmother's funeral that he had cancer. And so that kind of hit, you know, hit home too. Um, And I was away from home when they were all going through these things. I didn't get to go to all the funerals or get those last few moments with them while they were still healthy. So everything that I have was kind of a negative effect. Like when my grandfather told me that I was just home for a day for the funeral and then I had to go back. And six months later, um, when I was going through training, I was in tech school. He actually, um, I flew home after tech school because I did what was called recruiters assistance program. Mm -hmm. And he passed away 10 days later when I flew home after I flew home. So only, but he was sick and he, you know, couldn't do much or anything like that. Right. And then about a a year passed and my cousin ended up committing suicide. So while I was in the service, um, I was starting to get affected by all the loss of these family members. Right. And I had a brother that was living on the streets. Nobody knew where he was at. He was doing drugs. And so that made me concerned because I'm thousands of miles away from home. So it started affecting my job performance. Well, I was afraid it would start affecting my job performance. So I started seeing, seeking mental health. Mm-hmm. And from there, they seemed like they cared and they were going to work with me. But during that whole year of me going to mental health, that's when I uncovered those moral obligations of the military that they weren't doing them correctly, such as the sterile central supply and the records and that girl being raped. And so they used my mental health against me to separate me from speaking out against those issues. And the reason I knew about those issues is because I told you earlier that they were using the lower enlisted to try to correct them. I was one of those lower enlisted that they asked to do it. And I wanted to, I was going up the chain of command to speak against it, saying that this doesn't seem right. So, so they used my mental health against me. 
So you were, you uncovered these issues and because you were one of the people being used to sort of fix them or hide them. Cover them up. Yes. Cover them up. Okay. And so essentially you were part of a cover up and you felt a moral conflict with this. So you started speaking out and because you started speaking out, you became a problem. Did you feel persecuted? Yeah, I felt retaliated against. My mental health provider, uh, she, when I told her about the situations, she told me that I was owned by the military and I had to do what they told me to do, even though I felt that it was morally corrupt. And so I called her out on some regulations and AFIs, and she told me that I was basically a waste of military money. Mm-hmm. And so I, I requested for a new provider, and I was told as a patient of the military that I was not allowed to seek uh, any help outside of the service. Oh, wow. So how did you handle that? Um, I told her that that didn't seem right. I told her I did not sign my life away to give up all my rights. So I, I seeked uh, AFI guidelines to try to get a second counselor. And um, it, it's actually funny that she said that because that isn't true. Service members actually do have a right to seek help outside of the service if there's any conflict or, in, you know, conflict of interest or anything like that, which there was because me and her both worked in the same building. And so she was breaking my HIPAA regulation by telling everything I told her to my commands that I was speaking, that I was talking to her about what was going on and stuff. And I actually went to the chaplain and requested a letter of accommodation for religion, for religion to see a religious counselor. Mm-hmm. And I was denied that privilege. And then Goodness. because I was under the age of 26, um, I still had health insurance through my mom. So I actually put in leave to come home to try to get that second opinion. And they told me that if I did that, that I'd be punished for breaking a um, command directed order for seeing the provider that my commander wanted me to see. Oh my gosh. So they forced me to see these mental health providers when I didn't agree with them for what they did and were saying. Oh my gosh. And so how long did this go on for you fighting with the command and them forcing you to see providers that were just, you know, going along with their agenda? About six months. Oh my goodness. And then the person who diagnosed me with a personality disorder, she didn't even tell me that she diagnosed me with a personality disorder. There was no test done. They didn't um, look into my history to see if there was any records of me having a personality disorder, which there never was. I mean, before we joined the service, every service member is screened for some kind of mental health and nothing was ever found. And for the first year that I was in the service, two years that I was in, nothing nothing ever came up. It wasn't until I started speaking about these immoral justices that all of a sudden I get thrown with the label of a personality disorder. And my command requested uh, my mental health providers that I be tested for a personality disorder. So the command, if the command's requesting that I be tested for it, they obviously knew about the loophole, you know, in the service to get rid of someone who is a whistleblower. They don't know what's going on. So why would you ask for a personality disorder test if you weren't going to diagnose me with it to see if there was anything else going on? Okay, so the command requested that you get a personality disorder test? Yes. So 
one of your superiors just looked at you one day and said, you know what? She needs a personality. <laughs> this yes. is best. That doesn't seem legit. Like, were you, were they saying it was because you were acting out of order or what was their reasoning? I'm curious. Their reasoning was because I wasn't fit for duty, but it wasn't until I started speaking up, I was going up the chain of command to speak out about those regulations I was telling you about earlier, mm -hmm. how I was afraid service members with would be hurt because the chain of command requested that I be tested for a personality disorder. Oh my goodness. That is just absolutely horrible. So, so you got the test then. And then, yes. and which, I mean, it sounds to me, and this is just me speculating, but it sounds to me like you're asked to get this test. The command directs that you get this test. Mm -hmm. You have to take the test, obviously, yes. because we're all property of the United States government. And you take the test and they decide that, yes, you do have it. So the command... Yes the command just decided that you had this then tested you for it. And then of course you had it. It just seems yes. like convenient. Because I told them I didn't want to see that provider anymore. And they told me I didn't have a choice that if I refused the, the test, I would be disobeying a lawful order and I would be kicked out dishonorably. It may have to serve some time if I broke a um, direct command order. And on top of that, yeah. my commander, um, like I said, she was the one who asked for those medical records um, for those enlisted members to go through them too as well. Okay. So, right. So the commanding officer is the one who presented you with this moral conflict in the first place. The yes. commanding officer was the one who suggested that you have a personality disorder test. Yes. You were also told that you couldn't seek a second opinion. You couldn't go outside of the military for health care. And you were unsatisfied with your health care provider anyway. Correct. But I actually did receive that second opinion through an organization. Oh, uh, really? A nonprofit organization. So I, I did go behind my commander's back to get that a second opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and they tested me for a personality disorder and no personality disorder was found. And they did the same testing that the United States Air Force did. The organization is called the Civilian Rights Medical Network. Mm -hmm. And they help active duty and veterans going through any mental health uh, dilemma. And that's their whole goal is to help fight personality disorders and other uh, diagnoses that, that are falsely um, made against these service members. And I work with the organization to this day. So for anyone who might be going through something similar to this, I will put a link in the description of the episode so you can reach out to them directly. So, okay. So now you've gone through all of this. They've diagnosed you with a personality disorder. What happened next? After that, like I said, it, they told me it'd be a few weeks before that they discharged me from the military. So I was kind of like, I don't know what the word was. I was just very stressed out and I didn't know which direction to go. I tried so desperately to save 
my career. So I sought out uh, count, like uh, legal counseling through the Air Force, and they told me that they could not provide me with legal counseling until I had my discharge paperwork. So the Air Force denied me the legal counseling right away. I went to the I, the investigative unit in the Air Force, and they told me that they couldn't help me until I had my discharge paperwork as well. Um, so it was like I had no avenue to go down to get that help. It's not the first time I've heard this either, where someone was getting a medical discharge. In fact, my very first guest, Melanie, who is a dear friend of mine, I knew while I was serving, was medically discharged, and she wanted to fight against it and had no recourse of action. And um, just very, very horrifically removed from her goal of a military career just it was a devastation to her to uh, have to be put out of the military she she feels to this day forced from the military because she wanted to fight it she tried every avenue no one would listen to her no one would help her she was shut down at every turn and it sounds like the same thing that happened to you there was a lot of research done uh, that I did as well to try to get those advocates. And I actually came across a few organizations and people that try to speak up on my behalf. But I can explain that here in a little bit if you'd like me to. Of course. Of course. So, okay. So now you've, they've given you a med board and you are being put out of the military. You couldn't fight it. And now you're out. What was that like no, for there, you? I actually didn't get to have a med board. They denied me that. I even had a letter requesting and they told me that that wasn't my right to have a med board because being diagnosed with the personality disorder is considered a pre-existing condition. And so they said that because I had the condition before I came into the service, that it was not my right to have that done. Okay. So you've had a MEPS physical and you were cleared to serve. They found no trace of a personality disorder. So it seems to me that that's like an easy proof, right? Like here, here's my METS physical and I have no, you guys allowed me to go in. How are you saying that this is a pre-existing condition? How does, how does that work that, that they are able to get away with that? How did it work for you? They said that sometimes that stuff can be overlooked and it isn't until they get into the service that the personality disorder from the stressors start showing isn't there somewhere like a baseline, like a starting point? Like there's, so anyone could just manifest a personality disorder then. Well, usually the, that stuff doesn't show within the first few months of you being in the service. But like I said, I served for about a year and a half before any of this stuff, actually the stressors, which there was no stressors. I saw men, I personally, I wasn't command directed to go to mental health. I went to mental health so it didn't affect my career because of the loss of my family members. Okay. So what they were saying is because you went to mental health, the personality disorder, is that's when it developed because you lost your family members? Well, Was that like a diagnose, trigger? Well, the thing is, is they didn't even diagnose me with a, mental, a personality disorder until a year after assault mental health. So I was already seeing mental health for a year. So nothing was ever diagnosed before then. It wasn't things, I wasn't diagnosed until I started speaking up about those moral, immoral, those immoral pieces I was telling you about earlier. I get it. So basically, you know, that whole time that you were grieving your family, no one thought that you were mentally ill. You were just grieving. And then suddenly when you start 
you know, speaking out against things that you find are happening that are inappropriate, suddenly you're mentally ill. Yes. Okay. And so how did it work that you didn't get a med board? I don't know. They just, they did. I don't know exactly. I went to patient advocate. I kept going up my chain of command and I was actually threatened. Like I said, that if I kept going up the chain of command that I was going to get in trouble for it, I tried to seek out help from the patient advocate and the patient advocate told me he basically could not help me because I worked in the med group, even though I was a patient within the med group. Mm -hmm. Wow. It sounds like a lot of red tape to just be able to say, you're not going to, this is what's happening. And on top of that, um, so like on top of that, when I, I requested for my medical records, because when they did the test for personality disorder, I told you that I went and got that second opinion. I actually requested mm-hmm. the Air Force for that test to mm-hmm. give to the other mental health provider so he could review it. And the Air Force denied me that personality disorder test. And to this day, they still have not given me that test to have it reviewed. Okay. I really do have a personality disorder. Okay, so how did you end, like, what was the, your out process? Like, if you didn't get a med board, how did you end up from, like, one day to the next, you're out on the street? Pretty much. It was a two-week period. They uh, try to put me in through, the, you know, they have a checklist when they separate service members. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't do anything. So when you get out, you're supposed to go through what's called TAPS, which mm-hmm. is a transition program. Yeah. They sent me through TAPS, but at the same time, I was trying to fight my case. So I was trying to see the Area Defense Council. I was trying to see the um, investigative unit to try to save my case because it was my right. I went to my congresswoman. But during that time, I was forced to go to TAPS. It wasn't a transition period that I voluntarily wanted to go through and during that time period I was trying to fight my case and the investigator actually asked the commander to hold a few months so he could do a proper investigation and they didn't wow and the area defense council the lawyer basically that they gave me she was out processing to another base so she wasn't even at the base to fight on my behalf so they gave me very basically a lawyer who could not help me fight my case That's absolutely deplorable. So, go on. My command, when I told you I requested for my medical records, I actually sifted through my medical records and saw where they lied in my medical records about certain things, which I can get to here in a little bit. But there was encrypted emails from my command and mental health that were sent back and forth and meetings that I wasn't involved with. And I was able to find those because they put them in my medical record where it said uh, command and mental health a meeting patient was not um there basically Mm -hmm. so they put them in my medical records and i wasn't even aware about these emails or these meetings and i have no idea what spoken oh my gosh that is just unbelievable but i have those records as well you know in my mind starts i start getting like all conspiracy theory and i'm like oh they're in there having meetings on how to get you out and how to do it quickly. Like that's where my mind goes. Yeah. So why can't I be, cause it was my mental health. And like I said, I voluntarily sold out, sought out mental health. So why does my command have to have uh, meetings and encrypted emails that I'm not even allowed to be a part of if I'm the one who voluntarily sought out mental health? Girl, it feels shady. It feels absolutely shady. So, okay. Were you going through those records and stuff? while you, before you were getting out or, 
Okay. Because you were still fighting. You're yeah, trying really hard to stay in. Did you want to retire? I wanted to make it a career. Yes. I actually wanted to eventually become a, um, a nurse and become a commissioned officer. I wanted to make it my career. Wow. It's really sad that you didn't get to see that, that goal come to fruition because of all this, just because you wanted to stop anyone else from getting hurt. You wanted to speak up about things that you saw that didn't seem right. I could have saved, I could have saved my career if I didn't speak up against it. And there's days that I sit there and I think, should I have made a different decision and not spoke up about the girl being raped, not trying to help her, not speaking up? But at the end of the day, I'm glad I made the decision that I did because I can sleep with myself at night for making what is the right decision and trying to protect others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I definitely understand where you're coming from. I was just talking to another guest about a sexual harassment situation that happened with my roommate and I tried to help her and we were pretty much shot down and I wanted to keep fighting it, but she was just done. And, um, and so we couldn't go, I had to respect her wishes and we couldn't keep fighting it anymore, but we were not being met with any sort of genuine action to stop what was happening to her. And she became suicidal. And it only stopped after they removed her from the clinic she worked in. But the reason why they removed her was because she swallowed a bottle of pills, you know? And fortunately she survived, you know, she was caught in time, but that's how severe it was that she was just ready to take her own life. And then, and only then did they move her out of the harassing hostile situation. And then she was thriving and happy, but they moved her out of the military. They met boarded her out. Yeah. It seems like that happens a lot from like, I do a lot of advocating but the service they want to reduce, you know, they keep saying that they want to reduce the 22 a day uh, veterans and active duty committing right. suicide, but right. they're not doing anything to do it. They're actually, mm-hmm. they're, I honestly think that they're the ones causing it. It's not the PTSD that's causing it. It's because they're not giving these service members the proper help that they need because they don't want to help them because it costs them more money. Mm-hmm. Right. I could see that. So once you got out of the military, so you didn't, so you had TAPS, but it, you weren't trying to transition out. So no. what was your transition out of the military like? Um, it was a hot mess um, because like I said, I was trying to fight my case. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I had an investigation going on against my command for mm-hmm. uh, wrongdoings and retaliation. My congresswoman was involved. Um, she actually was not on my side at all, to be completely honest with wow. you. Wow. Um, it was, uh, Senator Joni Ernst mm-hmm. and I thought she would have my best interest cause you know, she was another female service member. She was actually a commander in the Iowa guard unit mm-hmm. and she can really help me. And Chuck Grassley is also my state Senator in the state of Iowa, mm-hmm. which he actually wrote a letter to Congress requesting for personality disorders to be halted in the service back in 2007. Wow. So I thought maybe he really would have my back. But neither mm-hmm. one of them did. Joni Ernst actually sided with the United States Air Force on the findings. And she's actually covered up uh, some cases uh, back when she was deployed in Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't remember which one. Christine, uh, Christina is her name, actually. She's an Army veteran who was raped in a deployed setting 
Joni Ernst's soldier actually raped her, and Joni Ernst actually covered it up by messing with some of the documentations. Mm, is there evidence about that out there? Is that a yes, actually, thing? Yes, Christina's actually fighting her case now, and she's actually had it reopened up. And when her story was reopened up, Joni Ernst actually came out and said that she was raped in the military as well. Oh my goodness. The same time that Christina reopened back up her case. So I don't want to discredit anybody who's raped or sexually assaulted in the military. That's not my case. But it just seems in coincidence that as soon as Christina's case is opened back up, that Joni Ernst goes to the public and says that she was sexually assaulted and raped to take the public's eyes off of Christina and her case and what Joni Ernst did wrong to feel sorry for Joni Ernst. Wow, that is it just a bold coincidental. Wow. I'm sorry. I know that's a bold statement. I'm not discrediting anybody who's sexually assaulted or raped. Maybe she was, but it just seems very incon I don't know, conspicuous. Mm. That's interesting. I'll definitely have to look into that some more. That seems like quite a story. But okay, so bringing it back to you. What happens next in your life? Um, the first uh, few months that I was out, I, it took me almost a year and a half. I wasn't able to get a job for the first like few months that I got out of the service because I had such bad trust issues because what was supposed to be my family and stability had turned their back on me. And so it was just very hard for me to keep a job for the first year. I was such a nervous wreck. I even went, I was scared to go to mental health. Um, I had suicidal ideations. Oh my God. Um, I didn't want to be there anymore because I was so scared of just what was going to happen to me. You know, you just got kicked out of the service. And when they tell you that you're separated from the service, you have no quality of life afterwards. Oh and gosh. I started thinking maybe I actually had a personality disorder. So you started and actually I, buying into it? Yes. Oh my God. Even after thinking that I didn't have one, they started making me feel as though I was the crazy one for doing the right thing. And it wasn't until I started actually going to counseling that I realized, you know, no, I don't. And I was diagnosed with PTSD from all of the trauma from, you know, everyone turning their backs on me, my command saying stuff that wasn't true, lying in my medical records. Um, because if, like I was telling you before, I sifted through all my medical records, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages. Um, when they had me tested for a personality disorder, they actually asked me weird questions. Like, if you could be a tree, what type of tree would you be? Goodness. Or, And they told me there was no right or wrong answer. Just answer to the best of your ability. And there was another question. Like, if you had to kill somebody, who would you kill? A, your mom. B, your brother. C, your coworker. Or D, a dog. How do you, so you answer had to that? Pick. You, you would, I didn't have a choice. So obviously I'm, or yourself. And so I picked myself because I'm not going to kill anybody. You know what I mean? It was just stupid questions like that. Or a like dog. That. Oh, my God. You yeah. Your mom, your brother, or a dog. Really? Or yourself. Or yourself. Well, obviously, if you have to pick an answer, I think anyone logically would probably say themselves, even if they had no suicidal thoughts because of the question itself. Yes. And going through my medical records, they asked me questions like, do you think you're special and unique? I said, Yes, I think I'm special and unique, but I think everybody is special and unique because everybody is created by God. Mm -hmm. Well, in my, in my medical record, they just said she thinks she's special and unique and diagnosed me with narcissism. They didn't even put that last statement in there of what I said. <sighs> wow. Oh That's how goodness. I know that they were trying to di uh, falsely diagnose me with a personality disorder. Oh, my goodness. What an ordeal. So... And 
so what, what else? Tell me more. I know that there's more to this story. I had letters of character from people that knew me all from my kindergarten teacher all the way up to college. And before I left for the service, I had military members that wrote me letters basically saying that, you know, this is how she was as a person. And none of them were negative or bad either. All these people were trying to help me fight my cause, but they wouldn't take my letters of character because a personality disorder, if you read it, develops at a young age. And so there should be signs and patterns before I went into the service. And that was the whole point. I got Mm -hmm. those letters of character from kindergarten even, you know, from all my teachers. Right. But there was no patterns before I went into the service. My goodness. I just can't imagine everything you must have been feeling at this time. But going back, it was hard for me to have a job uh, for the longest time. But I started, you know, reaching out to other service members and other women that went through the same thing. And I had people help guide me. Um, I think the biggest person that probably helped guide me is his name is Joshua Kors. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote, he was actually the private investigative reporter who discovered the conspiracy theory of personality disorder discharges in the military. And I reached out to him. And he connected me with Chuck, a Sergeant Chuck Luther, who has a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. called the Disposable Warriors. And they try to fight right. on my behalf as well. And to this day, Joshua Kors has kind of been one of my biggest advocates. Oh my gosh. It's amazing that you were able to connect with him and he was able to provide you some resources to help you along on your journey because that's an uphill battle if I have ever heard one. It's and like, my command, I'm oh, sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. I was just going to say it's like one woman versus the United States government, but it's so, it's so common. Yeah. When I was still in actually, cause you were asking about how my discharge went down. Mm-hmm. Chuck Luther actually started calling around on my base and started calling the surgeon general of the air force, trying to halt the personality disorder to try to save my career. And my base actually threatened him saying that if he stepped foot on that base, he would be arrested. And he was a declarated veteran. Oh my goodness. And then Amy Quinn was also another one uh, who was discharged with the personality disorder um, in the United States Navy. But her story is for another time, but she Um, the day I got discharged, she was on the phone with me the entire time when my command was trying to separate me. And they basically said that she has no room of being my advocate and that she has no affiliation with the military, which she's a veteran as well in the United States Navy. Mm -hmm. She's actually going for her, I believe her doctorates in psychology. Oh goodness. That's amazing that she was able to, you know, take her situation and, become an advocate for others and she's pursuing her degrees and everything like that. It's just incredible. I definitely would love to talk to her. Yeah. Um, I with her. Amazing. So tell me more about you. You got out, you were struggling and you started to find these resources to help you. How did that begin to help you overcome the obstacles you faced? I still struggle to this day with it. It's still difficult, but I've, I believe I've become a lot more healthier because I've seen other people face it. Um, helping to speak with other veterans and trying to have a voice to try to overturn this. It helps other female veterans. I've had female veterans um, reach out to me saying now that they don't feel so alone like I did because I didn't have those avenues so right good. away. You know? 
And I want them to know that they're not alone and to help hold their hand through it. Even though I can't necessarily guide them because I'm still fighting my case, I don't have the right answers on how to overturn, you know, personality disorder discharges because my case is still active. But you're working on it. And one day I believe you will. And I believe that every step of the process that you're going through can help the person who's coming behind you. So what you're doing is really, really good work. Even just holding the hand of someone who's going through it is still so important. I mean, everything you do and everything you're doing and what you're going to do is so, so important. That's why I keep speaking about other service members because it's like, I don't, my story isn't as important, you know, because I try to want to be the advocate to help others. Because my story, it's not over, but I'm already separated, you know. Yeah, I'm fighting for it. I ended up hiring a lawyer. I hope one day I can take it to, that's kind of my goal is to take it to Congress and try to get some kind of bill passed to prevent this from happening and try to make the nation aware of what's going on so it's not so hidden anymore. That's right, because the more people don't know about it, the more these things will happen and continue to happen. And the more you speak out and raise your voice and we use our voices about the things that we've seen or experienced that were absolutely wrong like this, the more that we can make an impact. And we just have to keep talking and keep sharing our stories and keep getting out there. Every single story is important. Everything that you're doing is incredibly important. And I believe that you'll succeed. I believe that you'll keep fighting. You're a very strong woman. And I know that you'll get to Congress and get that bill passed. Just keep fighting for it. (laughs) I hope so. It's actually, it's not just females, but it's the veterans that are going through similar situations that keep me going. I think that's the biggest thing that kept me going when I got out is like, because I said, I'm big on morals and I feel like that. I was supposed to go through what I went through. I felt like it was a calling from God for me to go to the military. He knew what I was going to go through. And I, I, I hope that he has bigger plans to use my story. I'm sure he does. So I guess my last question for you is going to be, what advice would you give to other people who are facing this kind of persecution and maybe even this kind of diagnosis in order to get them out of the military and um, deny them benefits? Um, To not give up, to keep pushing that there's more of us out there that are willing to help and advocate. Um, They just need to be able to find those resources and um, just to do their research if, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to connect people to those resources and to get them the help that they need. You know, they can still get mental health. Um, if they need someone to speak with, like I said, I'm a hundred percent behind the civilian medical readiness network and I trust them with my life. Um, it's just to, to keep on pushing and to keep having the faith that, you know, that they'll see the dress that they, that they deserve, that they're not alone. That is amazing advice. I think it's much needed and I'm certain that it will help someone, probably many, many people. So I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you so much for coming and being a part of this podcast and sharing your story. I am so sorry for everything that you went through, but I think you might be right. I think you have a calling on your life and I think that you're going to do really good things for a lot of people. I will link all the information that you gave me in the description box below for anyone who is looking for the kind of help that Nicole can offer. 
And I, again, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there anything else you want to tell everyone? Um, that even if they're not in the military, that, you know, civilians, uh, to keep their eyes open uh, for you know, they have brothers or sisters, cousins, family or friends that are in the service just to kind of have their back and just listen to them so they don't feel alone. And that can help reduce the suicide rate in our service. That's right. We know that it's a problem. And this season, I've really talked about the suicide prevention and how important it is for us to you know, listen to our brothers and sisters about whatever it is that they're going through, our family members to watch out for them because there's too many of us dying. There's more and more every day and we all have an obligation to do whatever we can to reduce the amount of suicides from our veteran brothers and sisters every single day. So again, thank you so much, Nicole. You have been such an amazing guest. I appreciate you coming on this journey with me. Thanks for uh, having me on. And with that, I'm going to wrap this episode up. So I want to tell everyone who's listening, thank you so, 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 so much for listening. Thank you also for coming on this journey with me. I appreciate you so much. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next time.